Hey everyone, welcome back to the Pursuit of Service podcast. Your co-host Jeff Wright here. Uh, Today, Brian and I will finish up our conversation on delegating and empowering the team around you. And before we get started, speaking of empowering, just want to give a quick shout out to a couple of folks who really empowered me uh, with this podcast. And the first is Matt Van Zandt, who's a good friend of mine and the worship pastor at Piedmont Church. And he really was instrumental in helping me to kick this podcast off uh, with no sort of technology and production experience. He was huge um, in allowing me to get started. And so really just by his uh, taking the time out to volunteer just to help me as a friend, it really empowered me to get started with this podcast. And you can listen to him in some of the earlier episodes where he joined me Um, for instance, in Getting to Know You. And he also did the uh, production for the episode called Things Caitlin Taught Me. So thanks, Matt. Big, big help and a big part in getting this thing started. Uh, And then the other one is another good friend of mine uh, named Philip Taylor, and he works in creative design and digital marketing. And again, his skills uh, were really valuable in getting this started because he did the logo. And again, just as, as, as a favor from a friend, uh, and that really enabled me to put together a, a brand and a message and a feeling with the logo that he did. So thanks again, Phil. All right, guys, get your notebook, get ready to take some notes as Brian and I talk about uh, the Finer points of delegating and empowering to others, including things that we've been learning lately. So delegation and empowerment is just not going to work well just because you say i'm delegating and i'm empowering there's things you actually have to do so jeff let's unpack some of these that we talked about i think one of the things is what you call recognize and alignment so talk about that in terms of what it takes to make empowerment and delegation work yeah and i hope this next kind of part of the conversation will help people think through and around some of the risks associated, which is kind of what you were alluding to before. Uh, because let's face it, a, a lot of times it is difficult when, you know, one person's livelihood depends on the performance of someone else and they have to delegate to that person. So some of that uh, will be incorporated here with the steps that we can take to get there. And the first ultimately is recognizing what someone's skill set is, what their passions are, what their desires are. And then aligning what the organization is doing and what you can empower them uh, with those things. In other words, if someone doesn't have the skill set to um, accomplish what may be delegated or, or empowered to them, then it's fetal anyways. It ain't going to work. If I have an, uh, an artistic design person and I task them or, or delegate or empower them uh, with writing computer code and they don't know how to do it, then that defeats the purpose. I can empower them all day, but their skill sets aren't aligned there. More importantly, though, is what their passions and what their desires are, uh, because then that gets to the heart of what motivates them. That gets to the heart of what they enjoy doing. And so if you can align those, um, then, then it's going to work out well. And going back to the story I told earlier, uh, what motivated that soldier was being trusted, was being granted responsibility because of the recognition of his competence. 
Can I ask you a question? Did you do anything that drew that out of him or did you know it intuitively or did you just, for lack of a better phrase, stumble on it by some good luck? How, how did you know what his passions and desires were? So a lot of it was, it was intuition. Um, and as a leader, this is the building relationship with, with those on your team. So again, the, the concept of a leader in the ivory tower just never works out. Uh, leadership is a relationship business. And so just by getting to know him, I, I intuitively recognized that he had, uh, he had motivation, he had potential, he had competence. Otherwise, he wouldn't have signed up for the special forces which ultimately didn't work out for him, but uh, I could tell what he was looking for and wanting. Okay. Yeah. For, for a business context, um, I've always utilized this to uncover passion and desire. What does a person laugh about, cry about, dream about? Absolutely. If you can, if you can, if you can discover those three things, you, as long as they've got the skills and the competence to carry out the task or assignment that's been given to them or can be trained to do that, you should be able to successfully lead any person anywhere your organization wants to go. Yeah. So, and, and Brian, let me turn it on you. Uh, yeah. Because you asked me in one way, I'm going to ask you the same question another way. So in that context, uh, which is ultimately what we want to do is apply these, these concepts to application for those listening uh, how, how would you recognize or uncover what makes someone laugh cry and celebrate uh the easiest way is to ask them you know that that Bingo. is the most straightforward way is just to say hey what are you passionate about and you know if i can just ask it this way what do you laugh about and cry about and dream about i mean yeah. what, what do you just get excited about if i'm in an office environment and i'm trying just to pick it up you can walk by and look at what they have on their desk, you yeah. know, that's kind of out in plain view of everybody. I mean, just something of that nature, but you really want to tap into that. And if there's a way that you can somehow reward that in the context of their job. In, in other words, uh, well, you know, th there's several things you do. A lot of companies nowadays are very community minded or very missionally focused, or they want to serve the poor, the under-resourced, the school system, something of that nature. If you know somebody is, is motivated by that, you can actually work that into their job in many different ways. You can reward it by allowing them to serve. If you know, you can give them tasks or assignments there to develop skills or build relationships. There's a lot of things you can do, but a lot of times genius is making the complicated simple, not making the simple complicated. So just ask them. Folks, if you're listening, if you're listening, write that part down. Cause sometimes we miss the forest for the trees and it can really be that simple. Just ask them. And then what you just said, Brian is so critical. And if we could only as leaders in the business community, remember it, I think it's all it's forgotten but design their job description or their role around those passions, because then, then you're going to have a team uh, of, of teammates that are pulling the organization instead of the leader having to pull the teammates. And let, let me give you a very simple thing my company did for me a couple of years back. I love books and I love reading, um, love learning, lo love that whole process. Uh, so one of the things my company did 
two years ago is they gave me a book allowance every month. And so I already had a company credit card for travel and expenses and that kind of thing. So once a month, I had a, I had a certain amount for books. And it was just a wonderful, simple little compensation package that cost the company pennies on the dollar, mm -hmm. but it meant the world to me. And I'll tell you another funny thing. I've kind of lost my book allowance thanks to COVID, you know, get fired up. COVID, you know, you got to <laughs> love COVID. Yeah. But I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of things I'm working to try to get back. And one of them's my book allowance. Yeah. But that is a very simple, basic little thing that means the world to an employee that, that the company did for it. So that's great. Uh, next one. And th this kind of rolls right back into that a little bit. So first of all, in terms of what will make delegation and empowerment work is recognizing and aligning skills with passions and desires and, and their job. Number two, start small. So tell us about that. Yeah, and the important part here is that if if there's a scenario where the downside risk or the ramifications of it not going well um, are high, you can still get there. Um, and, and it's about starting small, like you said, but more importantly than starting small is what's after that small step. So I'll say it this way. If you're having trouble delegating or equipping or empowering someone because of what could happen if it doesn't go well, communicate to them the intent that you're trying to get to over time. Eventually, I want you, teammate, to be in the position where this is your complete responsibility. For today, we're going to start with this task. And this is the example you gave of being in the boat. I'm with you. I'm going to help you through it. I'm going to double check you. But I want you to be equipped to do that. Now, here's the important distinction. If you start small, there has to be the clearly determined and clearly communicated step-by-step -step process to grow with each step. Otherwise, starting small can be insulting. Okay. So if you delegate a small task to someone and they don't know that the intent is to grow from there as trust, as skills, as comfort grow, then it may just feel like a, a menial task being pushed. But if they understand that this is step one of what's going to be a, a great growth opportunity for the team and that person, then that's actually motivating. So just the distinction of communicating that there is a plan to follow this rather than just starting small and leaving it at that has a huge impact. Okay. All right. This is where my, uh, where my, uh, very, very elementary mind went as you were talking. I cannot help but not think about Mr. Miyagi. Paint the fence and wax the car. That's right. And wax the floor. Um, the problem is he did not explain how all these pieces fit together until Daniel saw where they all fit together near the end of his training. Yep. So from your perspective, not to oversimplify this conversation, Mr. Miyagi could have did a much better job as a leader if he would have explained how, you know, wash the car, wax the floor, paint the fence, all fit together. If he would have explained it on the front end, that would have been a much better way to delegate task and assignment in this case. Absolutely. Well said. Okay. And that, that also just allows for teaching along the way too. Yeah. Oh, that's very good. Very good. And number three, credit to the team, 
blame to the leader. Yeah, this is this is kind of leadership 101, although it's perhaps the most difficult one. Um, but this grounds us as leaders, even through this process, that if it doesn't go well, that falls on the leader regardless. Um, and that really accomplishes two things. And, and, and again, if it does go well, all the praise and credit goes to the team um, and to the teammates that you've empowered. This really accomplishes two things. The first, like I started to say, was that it grounds us and provides us the context that will be a balance and a check to just throwing responsibility onto someone else. Because if I maintain the ultimate responsibility, if it goes wrong, then that forces me to be a little more careful. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying don't empower or pause to empower. What I'm saying is uh, be clear in your empowerment, be intentional. And ultimately what we're trying to do is set the other person up for success. And if, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, as the leader shoulder the blame, then I will more successfully equip them for success. And then the second thing that that philosophy does, the philosophy of blame goes to the leader, credit goes to the team is it really frees up that teammate to accomplish and, and like I said I like the word flourish because if they're worried about being hammered then that's just going to confine and constrict them I this is a real relevant topic uh, for me and something I'm going to be watching over the next few weeks the day you and I are taping this is the Monday following the opening weekend of the NFL season and Tom Brady did not have a great game against the New Orleans Saints. And he threw two interceptions, and there was a press conference afterwards in which head coach Bruce Arians was asked to evaluate Tom's performance. And he goes, well, on the first uh, interception, and I'm going to paraphrase here, uh, he basically said Mike Evans ran the correct route the route should have come across Tom's face. Tom didn't read it right, and he overthrew it through an interception. He goes on the second interception, there were two options. One was a pass to the flat, and one was a pass to the outside sideline. Tom threw it to the outside sideline. It was intercepted by Janoris Jenkins and run back for a touchdown. Tom made a bad decision. Um, Bruce, at that point, Coach Arians, totally gave all the blame to Tom Brady, put 100% of the blame on his shoulders. Now, what'll be interesting is to watch and see how Brady responds. Cause yeah. I, I'm interested to see a couple of things. Number one, him and Bill Belichick, it was a frosty relationship, but Bill Belichick was, okay, we'll watch the tape. I'm on to Cincinnati. Yeah. You know, so he would, he would not do that. Um, or and, Brady could, and even to take it one one step further, Belichick would say things like, "We got to do better." Yeah. Or or he might say, "It wasn't the right play call." He he ain't gonna give the media a lot, but generally, to your point, on Cincinnati, but also we just yeah. got to do better. Not he's got to do better. Yeah, and, we got to do better. And Belichick to even take a little further would go, "Well, we didn't do a good job on offense. Didn't do a good job on defense. Didn't do a good job as coaches. We got to do better." Yep. Well, I'm interested too, because Tom may, Tom may have the mentality, yes, they were bad decisions. I got to do better. 
you know, I've got six Super Bowl rings. That's not going to bother me a bit. I'm moving on. I do got to get better. I'm interested to see how this plays out. Yeah, and you so, can even put yourself in, in Tom's shoes. And, you know, he is a Hall of Famer, uh, no doubt about it. One of the best, if not the best ever, and just a story veteran. But even still, I wonder how he feels, even if he completely agrees that those were just misreads on his part. How do you feel when your coach just straight points the finger at you? So, you know, this comes just to the art of understanding and communicating as a leader um, that, that even though that there is truth in situations, the way that you craft and communicate um, and inspire matters. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing too, Jeff, in terms of feedback, your most elite performers are generally your most insecure performers. Hmm. And here's why they have the most to lose in terms of position, in terms of reputation, in, in terms of accountability, uh, in terms of exposure, they're the most exposed people on your, on your teams. Uh, everybody's looking to them either for success or for direction or something of that nature. Just because somebody is a top perfor performer does not mean this leadership 101, as you described it, Jeff, and it is, does not apply to that elite performer. Yep. That's really interesting. I, I want to come back to that concept of the, the top performers when we get to the, what are you learning this week? Okay. Well, I think we're almost there, but before we get to that, you had an unbelievable phrase that, that I wrote down when we were talking uh, offline before we, before we jumped on here. And you said, if empowerment and delegation does not work, there's a series of wrongs. So go ahead and talk about that. Yeah, so if the effort is made, the vision is cast, the agreements are put in place and the process is executed and it still doesn't work, uh, then you have a problem somewhere. It's either the wrong person in the role either the wrong it could be the wrong role for the person mm -hmm. uh, it could be the you know the incorrect context to the mission of the team or it could be on us as leaders and, and not leading well it could be improper training so the actual you know rubber hits the road skill set um, but if it still doesn't work then an adjustment has to be made and that goes back to the leader being ultimately the one responsible um, it, it may not be an easy adjustment, but uh, an adjustment should be made. Okay. I've been, I just took some fast notes as you were talking. So if you're listening at home, here's five things. And by the way, I'll have these on my website if you uh, don't get these and we'll put that link in the show notes, but it's either the wrong person for the role, the wrong role for the person, the wrong leader the wrong training. In other words, things might be lined up, but you need to, you need to adjust your training or it could be the wrong time and an adjustment needs to be made. And I think Jeff, when we go back to your original story, when you looked at that young man that was on your team and made him your RTO, you realized he was the right person, but just in the wrong role. And when you got him in the, in the right role, with the right training, with the right leader, he was able to flourish. That's right. Okay, excellent. All right, so I think that's a, a good way to wrap this up. Before, before we head to what are we learning, 
I know, Jeff, you've really been impacted by something Michael Hyatt wrote about the five levels of delegation. So give us those and then we'll head into what are our what are you learning segment. Yeah, and I think this is a great way to highlight that ultimately empowerment and de delegating comes to trust. Trust is relational. Trust is built over time. Um, and trust is given. And so any level of empowerment is going to require um, trust to empower, and that's going to become apparent here. Uh, but Michael Hyatt, who's sort of a management consultant um, and kind of thinker type, uh, has this article and that he's written about and it's been in his podcast, whereas five levels of delegation, and you'll kind of see it progress here. Level one is do as I say. So that's just go out and do it. And he actually used, and I'll use this example too, um, just to kind of demonstrate them. But the example he gave was, okay, we're going to give a gift to a client. So you're in a service oriented business and you're going to give them some sort of congratulations, gift, birthday gift, something like that. Level one, go to the store, buy this object and bring it back to me so we can mail the client. Level one is do as I say. Level two is research and report back. So a little bit more trust to someone to say, hey, I'm not sure what to get the client. Uh, so go do some research on what might be appropriate, what they might like and what might fit the occasion. Um, and then kind of let me know what you've learned by research. Level three is research and recommend. And now you're starting to see a little bit of trust in someone's judgment. So again, it's increasing. So go research what might be an appropriate gift that they may like and, and might fit the, the occasion. And then make a recommendation based on what you've learned um, and the constraints that we have. Level four is decide and inform. So this is, hey, go out and just take care of it, do it. And when you're done, let me know what you did after the fact. So now you can really start to see delegating turn into a sense of empowerment. This is, hey, go figure out what the best gift is for the client in this situation. Um, go ahead and buy it, send it to them, but just let me know what you did afterwards. So that's almost empowerment with a check and balance. And then level five is act independently. And this is complete empowerment. This is uh, go ahead and take care of it. And I don't even want to know what it looks like because I trust you and I've empowered you to do it. So there, those are his five levels of delegation. Um, and again, I, I want to highlight that the important concept here, in my opinion, is the philosophy of empowerment because what we're trying to do is equip someone else to succeed. Very good. Very good. Well, Jeff, I tell you what, thank you so much for investing in everybody. Uh, I know we all got better as leaders. And uh, one of the things that all leaders do really well is they're continually learning. So Jeff, what are you learning right now? Sure. So last time I talked about the concept of uh, the concept of mindfulness. Um, and so I'm continuing to learn about that, but even a little more specifically and deeply. And you mentioned earlier about top performers um, and their mentality. And I'm listening to an audio book um, by Pete Carroll and Dr. Michael Gervais called Compete to Create. So Dr. Gervais is a, a sports psychologist, a sports and performance psychologist. Um, and Pete Carroll is the coach of the Seattle Seahawks um, and is well known for creating cultures of success in, in the football teams that he coaches. But they have a joint venture and they wrote this book together that really um, unwraps some of the concepts of what it takes to perform at the highest level. So a lot of the podcast in the book talks about 
obviously professional athletes, Olympic athletes, elite military, those types where the stakes are high um, and, and the extreme performance is, um, is there. And it's just fascinating how, how not easy, but how basic it is. Just the concept of being very present in what you're doing at that moment. Uh, for example, just simply focusing on your breathing. And this is kind of common um, and probably well known to meditating in general, but still not easy to do if you just sit and take 12 to 16 second deep breaths and focus only on breathing and your mind starts to wander. And so that's just a discipline and a practice to get your mind into what you're doing at that moment. And then they start to tie in uh, the concept of grit. So grit is a word we like to use and um, in leadership and in working hard and in, you know, sports and things like that. But grit is, is simply mentally working through something that's difficult. Um, and it just all comes down to that mind focusing on one singular thing. And that is what you're doing at this very moment. And I'll give one more example. He told a story in this audio book about um, they're running tests on their athletes and there's, there's some athlete, high profile athlete that he didn't name that they were just kind of running all these tests on his like heart rate and blood pressure and brain activity and things like that. And they're like, okay, so for something like 12 or 15 minutes, you know, you have to be perfectly still. Try not to blink because, you know, even blinking kind of messes up the process and the reading. So if you blink, do it in bunches to water your eyes and that sort of thing. And then this athlete went something like six or seven or eight minutes without blinking at all. And he said he like looked around the side, not to get into the athlete's peripheral vision, but he just had tears streaming down his, his face, not crying tears, but eye watering because he would not blink. And you got to think about how laser focused his concentration was on just that task. Because the moment, you know, my mind starts to wandering, I'm just going to blink out of pure instinct. So it's fascinating on, on focusing the mind on the singular thing that you're doing right now. Okay. All right. And for what I'm learning, um, the thing I want to point out that I think is unique, there, there's like a 2% rule. And I actually wrote about it on my site. Last year for my birthday, my wife bought me masterclass.com, which I can't recommend that enough. It's $180. It's a series of online courses uh, with over 80 different classes you can take. And I've, I've taken, and, and they're, they're all top, top people in their field. They're, it's Bob Iger. It's, you, you know, Howard Schultz. Sarah Blakely, you know, Venus Williams, Steph Curry on the sports side. It's that level of, of instructors. And right now I'm taking a writing course from Malcolm Gladwell, who's one of my favorite authors. Mm. And he's, he brought up something that was interesting. And, and I'm going to tie two different kind of thoughts together into a, into a single thing. And the first thing is this, what do you do when you're with somebody and they start telling a story you've already heard them tell or you've heard them tell multiple times. And the average person will either, depending on how they're wired, just mentally kind of shut down a little bit and just kind of nod and be polite. 
or they may kind of halfway through the story go, oh yeah, and it winds up this way, you know, to kind of speed up the process, but in a very nice way. Or depending on how they're wired, they may go, yeah, you've told us that before, this is what happens, you know. Yeah. But in other words, they mentally go to the end. So now let's go to being a writer. Uh, and in this case, also being a leader. If you're writing about a known subject matter, like let's just take Pete Carroll, okay? If I were to write something on what makes the Seattle Seahawks so good year after year after year after year, that's a very exhausted subject matter. There, there's been literally hundreds of articles written on Pete Carroll and John Schneider, their general manager. Mm. Okay. So the, the chances of me adding something to that conversation are not very good. So as a writer, you're wanting to take people on a journey they've never been on before. So now let's go back to the person who tells the same story over and over. Human beings are not robots. It's going back to mindfulness, Jeff. If I can train my mind that I am going to listen intently for the 2% of their story that's going to be different than the last time they told it, that's very important. It may be a little fact. It may be their emphasis on a certain topic. It may be their level of passion. It may be the result of their story. It may be, you know, kind of, hey, here's what's happened to them since that story. But if I trained my mind that I'm not going to mentally check out, but I'm going to wait for that 2%, that's going to make me a better writer because I've trained my mind in every area of my life to look for the 2% no one else is looking for. So then as a writer, if I write about that 2%, I'm now a great writer because I'm now taking people on a journey related to a subject matter they've never been on before. And let's tie it back to the young man who became your RTO. Everybody saw him as a goof off. Everybody saw him as a misfit. Everybody saw him as an underachiever. You saw the 2% that he wanted to be trusted. He wanted to be empowered. He wanted to do something significant with his life. So I think when we take that concept of mindfulness and, and be present in every moment, looking for the 2%, That'll make us better writers, it'll make us better speakers, and it'll make us better leaders. Because we'll do the 2% and uncover the 2% and take people on the 2% journey no one else has taken them on. I think that lesson is so tremendous, not just for a writer, but as a leader with the people that we're talking to and the people that we're working with, it really just as a person, as a person. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going through a Bible study now by Tony Evans, and it's about uh, the book of 1 John. One thing he says about there is he, Tony Evans defines love as the decision to compassionately and responsibly pursue the well-being of another. And the reason why that came to my mind now is that sometimes it takes that level of intentionality to focus on that 2%, to be so present with someone that you're completely focused on them mentally emotionally and your attention is completely on them so that i think that's tremendous okay 
Well, Jeff, uh, once again, just as always, uh, it's just been an honor talking to you. Uh, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for investing in people. We're gonna have a PDF that kind of breaks down uh, the concepts that Jeff's been talking about, about uh, you know how to, how to infect, effectively empower and delegate, what will work. We'll give you a worksheet that'll make that happen. And uh, the links that we've referenced earlier will be in the show notes, including a link to that book by Coach Carroll and Michael Gervais. By the way, I also recommend Coach Carroll's book, Win Forever. Uh, if you're if you're a coach or a sports fan, that book is absolutely one of my favorite football books of all time. And uh, Jeff, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Pleasure's mine. Thank you for uh, really having the insight to um, apply the lessons that you and I both see every day. All right. Well, thank you so much. And and listeners, it's been an honor investing in you. And we'll see you next time on the Pursuit of Service podcast. 